Good morning. How are we on, Johnny? All good? Um, good morning, guys. This morning we uh, continue on in our mini-series, and that's titled uh, Big Topics. Uh, so last week, if you remember, we thought about God's church uh, and the role of men and women within the life of a gathered congregation. Uh, next week, our focus is on what is one of my favourite passages in 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, we're going to be thinking about God's grace. Um, and this morning, we begin a, a new chapter. We're continuing on in this series. We're beginning in chapter 15. And we're taking time to look together at God's gospel. God's gospel. Um, as we look at the subject of the gospel, we do so thinking, thinking about and reflecting on what may be a familiar passage of scripture. You've perhaps heard this, read this passage on many different occasions. When people look to understand what the gospel is, when people look to explain the gospel to somebody else, more often than not, they will look at 1 Corinthians 15 and verses 1 to 8. So if you have your Bibles, uh, turn with me to that passage. I'm reading from the CSB, uh, the Christian Standard Bible. The words are going to be up on the screen as well. So Paul writes this, 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 1. He says, now I, want, now I want to make clear for you, brothers and sisters, the gospel I preached to you, which you received, on which you have taken your stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold to the message I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I passed on to you as most important what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to over 500 brothers and sisters at one time. Most of them are still alive, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, last of all, as to one born at the wrong time, he also appeared to me. Amen. May God bless the reading of his word. Let's just take a moment to pray and ask that God would speak to us. So, Heavenly Father, we, we come with open hearts. Uh, we come with empty hands and we pray that you would take this time and you would use this time. That you would take our, our lives and that you would challenge us. You would speak to us and that we would choose to respond to your word in faith. Not just today, but beyond today, into the rest of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. You may or may not be aware of this, but uh, the Bible is 66 books, 39 in the Old Testament, 29, uh, 27 sorry, in the New. I'm not good at maths, apologies. There are 1,189 chapters of Scripture. In terms of the number of verses, the Bible has 31,103, um, all of which means that God's Word contains roughly 807,300 words. And our passage this morning is eight verses, and within those eight verses, in our CSB translation, there's 154 words. So I'm saying that this morning because of all the words and verses that we find in Scripture, there's perhaps none more clear about what the Gospel is and how the gospel makes a difference to our lives than this one, aside from Romans chapter 1. Um, so it begs the question this morning as we begin, what is the gospel? What is the gospel? As I ask that question this morning, let's just stop for a minute, let's just pause. Uh, a good number of you will hear me ask that question, what is the gospel? And your immediate mental response is one that says, sorted, I know what the gospel is. I don't need to pay attention to this part of what Mark's saying. 
And the temptation for you this morning will then be to switch off. God forbid you switch off during a sermon. To not focus as intently as to what it is I have to share. Your thinking may even go as far as this. This is for those who have yet to hear or experience God in the gospel in their lives. This is something I don't really need to focus on. Cue autopilot. I'm just going to pretend I'm, I'm paying attention, but I'm not really. But the gospel is not just a particular sentence or sentences with important information that we need to know and understand. No, the gospel is so much more than that. The gospel is, as Paul says in Romans 1 and verse 16, and it'll be up on the screen for us, the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. The gospel is power. The gospel is power. As Paul says here in Romans, it's the power of God, and you can't miss that today. We can't think that the gospel is just a statement of fact. The gospel is power. When we reflect on the truth of the gospel with open hearts and open minds, no matter how familiar or unfamiliar it might be to us, we can be certain that the Holy Spirit is empowering our hearts and minds towards a deeper and a greater gospel reality. So much so that the gospel becomes not just a known reality, the gospel becomes a lived reality. It becomes an experiential reality. It's not just something that we have in our heads, it's something that we live out day to day in both the small and the big things of our lives. And we really do miss out on so much when we reduce the gospel to this statement of fact. And it's important we have statements of fact. Don't get me wrong. But if that's all the gospel is to you, you've completely missed the point. This is what so many churches do. If they think they're doing it right, inverted commas, when they do church with gospel orthodoxy and all the while neglecting what must be careful gospel orthopraxy. That is, they so often and so easily pay mental assent to the truth of God and yet fail to experience and live out the implications of the gospel in their day-to-day life. The gospel is more than information. The gospel is power. And I don't want us to miss out on that today because that's, that's crucial for every single person here this morning, those of you watching online, who would say that you're followers of Christ. So this has to be our foundation this morning as we ask this question, what is the gospel? And as we do so, you can't bypass 1 Corinthians 15, and in particular verses 3 to 4 of our passage. And just let's just hone in on verse 3 and 4 and what Paul says. Paul says this, For I passed on to you as most important what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. And what immediately jumps out from these verses is that the Gospel contains what are two absolutely essential truths that need to, that need to be the beaten heart of our understanding of the Gospel and how it is we should then do life. The first truth is this, found in verse 3. Paul writes, Christ died for our sins. Christ died for our sins. The second truth is found in verse 4. Paul states that he, Christ, was raised on the third day. Jesus' death and resurrection. And as you'll see from these verses, we are also direct beneficiaries of the gospel. Because as Paul says here in, in these verses, Jesus died for our sins. Our sins. Jesus died for our sins. He died for your sin. He died for my sin. He died for our sins. He died for all of our sins, not just some of our sins. 
Every single moment of sin in our lives, Jesus died for it. All of which leaves us with some more questions this morning. Because we very quickly discover that to understand the gospel, we need to ask a question. And I'm not assuming that anyone knows this. It might seem basic to you, but it's so important. We need to ask this question. What is sin? What is sin? The reality is you can't understand the gospel without understanding sin. Any explanation of the gospel that you hear that doesn't have or make mention of sin is no gospel at all. Flee from any church or any movement or any person that tries to communicate the gospel and doesn't mention sin. Sin has to be at the centre of our understanding of gospel truth. And one of the clearest definitions of sin in our Bibles is found in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 4. And John says this, and I love just how, how black and white John is. He's just so direct, he doesn't mess about. Everyone who commits sin practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. Sin is when you and I rebel against the standard, the law, the command that God has for every single one of our lives. God has the same standard for all of us. And sin is when we rebel against that. And this standard is not God being a killjoy. This standard is his perfect plan for your life and for my life. This standard is the most satisfying, fulfilling, joyful life that we could ever have. And the problem is, because there's always a problem when it comes to us, the problem is we think we know better than God. We don't understand that this is the perfect plan of God for our lives. We think we can come up with a better plan. And like Eve in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 6, we believe the lie that sin is in some way good for us. We think sin in some way can be beneficial for our lives. We think that sin is beneficial and we gain something. We can get something from disobeying God. And like Eve, we often dwell on the things that cause us to sin. Like Eve, let's be honest this morning, we do in fact find them delightful to look at. We enjoy sin. There's no denying about that. Every single person here this morning enjoys sin. Like Eve, we even hold on to the error that sin is or can be something that is desirable for obtaining wisdom. As I said already, we actually think that we're doing better than God in terms of living a life that has purpose and meaning when we choose to live a life of sin and it's nonsense. It's absolute nonsense. Every moment of sin is a moment of real and dis dangerous deception within our hearts. And it's a moment where you choose to worship something or someone else at the expense of loving God. So I hope we understand this morning what sin is. We need to get this to understand the reality of the gospel and the fact that Christ died for our sins. And when we come to terms with this definition in our hearts, it leaves us with another question. The question is this. Why did Jesus do this? Why did he die for our sins? Why did Jesus die for your sin and for my sin? And when you read that question, we're asking that in this way. What does it mean for Jesus to die for our sin? What does it actually mean in terms of the, the spiritual reality as we reflect upon his sacrifice for us? Our rebellion against God means that we all deserve to be eternally separate from God. An eternal separation is death. If sin is a root, then death is a fruit. And the stark reality is that those of us who are unrepentant sinners will be eternally separate from God. And we can't miss this. If you choose to live a life of unrepentance consistently in your life, 
then you will one day be eternally separate from him. Jesus himself describes this place of eternal separation as hell. But our sin, by our sin through our unconfessed rebellion, we consciously choose to step into this eternal destiny. Every single one of us consciously choose to step into this. A future end de de destination of hell, a place that God prepared for the devil and his angels, is basically the natural consequence of a life that rejects God. So when God sent his son Jesus to die for our sin, his death means that the penalty of our sin is no longer upon us. It's been put on him. It's been put on Christ. And the amazing truth is that we no longer need to face this eternal destiny of being separate from God in hell because of our sins. We've been rescued from this eternal separation under God's wrath. The price has been paid for every single one of us. A new door has been opened. We are saved. We repent. We look to God. We believe in his finished work for us on the cross. We no longer face this eternity in hell. We experience a life of relationship with him for billions and billions of years in eternity. I hope that's good news for all of you. Uh, we can now have a relationship with God the Father through God the Son and the power of God the Holy Spirit. And Paul writes of this in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 21. Paul says this, He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us. Christ did not know sin. He became sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It's the most amazing exchange in all of history. Christ took our sin. He gave us his righteousness. And we're free. We're free. We hand over all of our junk. He died for all of our sin. We receive grace, mercy, goodness. And when we do this, when we come to know God and confess and receive in this way, God now looks at your life and he sees Christ because you are in Christ. You are hidden in him. Your righteousness before God is a righteousness that's been given to you because of Jesus' death on the cross for you and for me. As that famous hymn, as well declares, my sin over bliss of this glorious thought, my sin not in part but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O oh my soul. All of this means we can answer this question, why did Jesus die for our sin? We can answer that in another way. That being, why did God do this? We ask that question and we're asking, why did God do this for you and for me? Why did God go so far to make us right with him? What was his motive? What was his purpose behind all of this? And the simple and life-changing answer to that question is because your heavenly father loves you. God himself loves you. And in his love for you, God through his son Jesus longs to be in relationship with you. We can so often fall into a danger in church we can spend so much time thinking about and asking ourselves how much we really do love God. And in the process of asking that question, and that's a really important question to ask, that's a good question to ask, do we really love God? How much do we love God? But in the process of asking that question, we can so often forget how much God loves us and how good he has been to us. In fact, the only way we can love God is because he first showed his love towards each one of us. The two go together. God's love is the only way we can love. 
as we read in 1 John 4 and verse 10, and it will be up on the screen for us, love consists in this. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. So you want evidence of God's love for you and for me? Then look at the cross and look at what the cross really means. See how far God went so that this relationship between you and God could be made new. Now let me just ask this morning, as I've shared all of that, is there anything more precious than that? Is there anything more life-giving than that truth? Is there anything more joy-filling than this reality that God loves you so much that he sent his only son to die for you and for me? Is there anything more amazing than this, than this truth? That Jesus, God himself, died for you. Through his death, you can now enter into this life-transforming relationship. This is why Jesus rose from the dead as well, the second truth. His resurrection means that sin and all of its effects will no longer have any power over our lives. His resurrection is God's promise of a future, an eternity and relationship with God in heaven. We're no longer separate in hell, we're with him in heaven forever and ever. His resurrection means that God himself has full and complete victory over sin and death and all of its effects. So we can live in gospel confidence today that if Jesus has defeated sin and death through the resurrection, then us being in Christ means that sin and death no longer have any power over our lives. So if you are tempted to sin today or tomorrow, you can hold on to this truth of the resurrection and you can say, you can preach to yourself and say, that in Christ, I can overcome this moment of temptation or this moment of difficulty, this moment of confusion where I don't see other any, any other option apart from sinning. No, that's a lie from the enemy. The truth is that you have freedom in Christ to live for him in the power of his Holy Spirit. So I hope we see from verses 3 to 4, this is the gospel. This is the gospel. And this is what it means for you and for me when we receive the truth of the gospel and it really will change your life. It has changed many of your lives. I know this to be true. I've spoken to many of you. I know many of you. It has transformed your life. And this is what Paul speaks around. And the rest of our passage, more often than not, there's a journey that we go on when it comes to the truth of the gospel. It's a journey that results in us moving from darkness to light. It's a journey that results in our transformation. One where there's nothing more important in our lives in Jesus. One where we sing with all that we are, something we've just sang. In fact, we've not sang yet, sorry, it's another hymn I'm going to mention later on. But something that, that we have sang in the past. All to Jesus, I surrender. All to thee, I freely give. I will ever love and trust in your presence daily live. I surrender all, I surrender all. All to thee, my blessed Saviour, I surrender all. Give thanks I didn't sing that in front of you this morning. <laughs> but rejoice in this amazing truth that once we know God in our lives, once we choose to live a life centered on Him, then we can say with confidence, I surrender all. And it doesn't become a burden to us, it's a joy to live for Him in that way. I surrender all, I surrender all. Is this your life testimony this morning? I surrender all. Is this your life testimony? Can you say that your life is a picture of the words of that hymn? 
for those who have journeyed to God through the gospel, I hope you know that this is your reality today. I surrender all. I'm going to give everything to God. Every aspect, every area. I'm not just going to verbalise I'm giving everything, everything to God. I'm going to actually put it into practice and my actual actions day to day. So this journey towards the gospel, it's a, it's a journey that began somewhere. And we're going to take some time to examine this gospel journey so that we understand how it is we and others come to experience the truth of God's love within our lives. And I want us just to, to go through this journey. So Paul speaks about the first part of his journey in verse 1 in 1 Corinthians 15. So Paul basically says uh, in verse 1, it started with us uh, preaching the gospel or having the gospel been preached to us. So have a look at what Paul writes in this first part of verse 1. Now I want to make clear for you brothers and sisters, the gospel I preach to you, the gospel I preach to you, Seems like such an obvious point uh, this morning, but for anyone here whose life is centered in the gospel, for anyone who can say this morning that Jesus is Lord, your journey to God in Christ began most likely with the gospel being preached to you, the gospel being shared. More than likely, the only reason that you're here this morning and worshiping Jesus is because somebody else shared this good news with you. And I say more than likely because on occasion, there are examples in Scripture, in church history, even today, including people I know, where God reveals himself in a saw on the road to Damascus moment through a vision or a dream. And this can often be the case with Muslims as they come to that place of salvation and faith. But all that to say, the normal way that God operates through the Spirit is in the clear and direct preaching of the Gospel to those who have yet to know and experience the truth and power of God for themselves. That's a, that's a normal practice of how God operates through his church to non-believers so that they might come to faith. All of which underlines the absolute necessity of gospel proclamation, of gospel preaching. If you're a follower of Jesus this morning, to share of the difference that God has made to your life out of a longing that the person you're speaking to might have what you have is in fact one of the most sacred and most important practices of your entire life. This is something that, that we should recognise as important. We've talked about this already during our prayer time. We were called to display the gospel, but we're also called to share the gospel, to share it, to preach it. In that moment, as we do this, we have a responsibility for sharing. God has a responsibility for saving. And that doesn't mean that we're in people's faces all the time, ramming the gospel down their throats, but it does mean that we do so with love, with sensitivity, with a leading of the Spirit, with a desire to see them have what we have. We're so in tune with God and His Spirit, so intimate in our relationship with Him, that our actions and our words so often can result in this natural unpacking of the truth of God. This is a way of the Spirit, and it's a way that God brings people to salvation. And Paul writes of this in Romans 10, 14 to 15. So I want us just to have a, a look at this section of Scripture. Paul says this in Romans 10, verse 14. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? How can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, 
How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Amen. So when Paul speaks of preaching in this passage, he's referring to what I'm doing right now. But he's also speaking of those who have opportunity, whether it be in a smaller group or one-on-one, to share and unpack the goodness of God and the difference that God can make to another person's life. And as I was just preparing for this this sermon, I started to to think and recall Acts chapter 8 and Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. And I want to just have a look at this section because here we see a very clear example of where God leads a person to share the gospel with someone who has yet to know the truth of God in their life. So Acts chapter 8, and we're going to just look at the first section here, starting in verse 26. We read this, An angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, Get up and go south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is the desert road. So the Spirit led Philip. So he got up and went. There was an Ethiopian man, a eunuch, and high official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of her entire treasury. He had come to worship in Jerusalem and was sitting in his chariot on his way home, reading the prophet Isaiah aloud. The Spirit told Philip, go and join that chariot. When Philip ran up to it, he heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you're reading? How can I, he said, unless someone guides me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. So I mentioned this example to really underline, as we think about the importance of preaching the gospel, how important it is that we do so as we are led by the Spirit of God. As Philip was led by the Spirit in this moment, we need to be led and empowered by the Spirit to share the truth of God. And this brings us on to the next point. Uh, receiving the gospel. So preaching the gospel, number one, and receiving the gospel. And I want us just to focus in on the second part of verse one through to verse four. Paul says this of the gospel. It was something which you received, on which you have taken your stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold to the message I preached to you, unless you believed in vain, for I passed on to you as most important what I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. So the gospel was passed on to Paul. The gospel was then received by Paul. Sometime later, Paul then passed the gospel on to the Corinthians and the gospel was then received by the Corinthians. All of which highlights this morning, it's one thing for someone to preach the gospel. It's quite another thing for the person hearing the gospel to then receive it. It takes a supernatural work of God for that to happen. We can't force that on someone. It is up to God to open that person's heart and mind to the reality of what God has done for them. And if we continue on in our passage in Romans 10, we see how it is that God does this. Have a look at verse 17. Paul says this, Romans 10, 17. So faith comes from what is heard, and what is heard comes through the message about Christ. So we see the pattern here. This is a verse we mentioned already this morning. The message of Christ, the gospel, the message of Christ, the gospel, is preached, it's then heard, and it then results in faith. The gospel is preached, the gospel is heard, the gospel is received, it results in faith. And this is your testimony. This is my testimony. This is how you came to know Jesus as Lord. It was preached, it was heard, it was received. You can say with certainty this morning, this is how it began for me and my life and my walk with him. 
And we also see this as we continue on in Romans 8. So Philip's been led by the Spirit and invited by the Ethiopian eunuch to speak about the things of God. And this is what we read in verse 32. Luke says this, Now the scripture passage he was reading was this, He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb is silent before its shearer, so he does not open his mouth. And his humiliation justice was denied him. Who will describe his generation, for his life is taken from the earth? The eunuch said to Philip, I ask you, who is the prophet saying this about, himself or someone else? Philip proceeded to tell him the good news, the gospel about Jesus, beginning with that scripture. As they were travelling down the road, they came to some water. The eunuch said, look, there's water. What would keep me from being baptised? So he ordered the chariot to stop, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptised him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him any longer, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip appeared in Azotus, and he was travelling and preaching the gospel in all the towns until he came to Caesarea. So yes, absolutely yes, we play a role in preaching, unpacking, and explaining the truth of the gospel, but it's God who does the work. It's God who opens hearts. It's God who transforms lives. So none of us who love Jesus today can really say that, that we do so because we weighed up all the options and we came to our own personal conclusion that Jesus is Lord. That's not really the sole reason why it is you came to faith. It was God who was working in you. It was God who was opening your eyes. It was God who transformed your heart so that you could then say yes to him in faith. We were made alive in Christ because he made us alive first to respond to him in faith. And us making that outward response to him is because of this inner work that was taking place. If you've received Christ in your life, do not ever take any credit for it. None of us can do that. God's been working and will continue to work for, for your good. We benefit from it, but ultimately it's for his glory. It's all about Jesus. Our life should always point towards him. Uh, on Wednesday, the men came together and we had a time of, of fellowship. We decorated hot dogs, not cakes. Um, and it was a, a really good time of, of connecting together. Uh, and Mark uh, shared his testimony. And it was just such an encouraging time to hear of Mark's story and, and just how God had led him through this journey. And it was so clear to me that God clearly used a number of different individuals in his life to bring him to that place of faith. And Mark would be the first to say that it was God who was going before these individuals. It was God who was going before his life to bring him to that place of salvation. And we were all really encouraged by that because in many senses it was a fresh reminder of the fact that it's nothing really to do with us. It's all about God. And it's all about him working in our lives so that we can say with confidence, Jesus is Lord. That was Mark's testimony. This is your testimony. No one can take credit. Um, if, you have met, if you have yet to make that decision in your life to make Jesus as Lord of your life, then do respond to him today. And when you do that, be certain. God has already been working in your life to bring you to that place where you make him Lord. And this brings us on to the final part, um, experiencing the gospel experiencing the gospel in verses 5 to 8. Uh, we preach the gospel 
of the gospel is preached to us, we then receive the gospel. Um, and let's just take a moment to, to look at these verses, these final verses within our passage. Uh, Paul says this, speaking of Jesus, he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to over 500 brothers and sisters at one time. Most of them are still alive, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one born at the wrong time, he also appeared to me. So Paul says here that Jesus, the risen Jesus, appeared to Cephas. And FYI, Cephas is, is Peter, the apostle Peter. Uh, Paul says he appeared to the twelve disciples. He then appeared to over 500 brothers and sisters in Christ at one time. And let me just highlight as well, um, 500 people can't have a simultaneous hallucination. This is clear evidence that Jesus had risen because 500 people saw him at the same time. Paul continues, he appeared to James, he appeared to the apostles, and least of all, Paul says, he appeared to himself. So Paul says this is the gospel. It's been preached, it's been received, and in this section, he says it's been experienced. The gospel has been experienced because we have seen the risen Savior. These testimonies validate that the resurrection of Jesus is true. And today we are living proof that the gospel is true. Because we can all say with confidence, if we love the Lord today, he has risen. The testimonies of 1 Corinthians 15 are our testimonies in 2022. As we've just sang, hallelujah, he's alive. Hallelujah, he has risen. Praise the one who saved my life. He's alive, I have seen the Lord. That was their testimony, but this is our testimony as well. We know the reality of what God has done for us. You know, experience is such an important part of a Christian life. It's not the most, impo not the most important part of a Christian walk, but there's something to be said about gospel truth as something we should both know and feel. Christians tend to emphasise one of these over the other. It's never been an either or. It's always been a both and. And it's always a both and because this is what the Bible clearly teaches. So when you look at our passage this morning, Paul explains what the gospel is. He identifies the gospel has been preached and received by others. And in this final part, he speaks of experience. People had this encounter with the risen Jesus. And we don't need to muster this experience up. We don't need to manufacture this experience. This is a work of the Holy Spirit. As we are faithful to know gospel truth, he will lead us then to experience gospel truth. Knowledge of the gospel leads to the experience of the gospel. The word and the Spirit illuminate Jesus in the gospel so we're both known and felt. And I hope this resonates with you this morning as we think about these different steps, these different moments in the journey towards the gospel, that comes as we invite the Holy Spirit to more and more have his way within our lives. And when I was a kid, I used to watch uh, football, uh, in particular Scotland games, on this magical invention called CFAX. Does anyone remember CFAX? Anyone? No, no one remembers? Yeah. <laughs> um, I can't really describe CFAX. It's like... Um, yeah, it's like a really rubbish version of the internet. Um, you would have it on your BBC channel. ITV had teletext, but CFAX was a business. I felt CFAX was better. Um, and I would watch Scotland games on CFAX on a Wednesday night or whenever Scotland played. And it was basically the score at the top and then there was like a single line of commentary as to what was happening on the game. 
and the commentary wouldn't come up straight away, so I would have to click refresh on, on my remote control every minute or so just to see if there was any change to the game. And it, sometimes I had quite a deprived childhood, but I would sit there for two hours, you know, just watching the Scotland game on CFAX, clicking refresh, seeing what was happening. And by the end of the game, I had all the factual information I needed about how Scotland played. I knew how the game went. I knew who scored against Scotland most of the time. I knew who assisted. I knew everything I needed to know. But in reality, as grateful as I was for CFAX, I wasn't really watching the game. On other occasions, on special occasions as a kid, I wouldn't use CFAX, I would actually go to the Scotland game. And no surprise, me going to the game was a completely different experience to CFAX. It was a completely immersive experience. It was an assault in the senses. And it was just way, way much better than any CFAX moment I had watching a Scotland game. And if I had the choice between going to an actual game at Hamden or watching a Scotland game in CFAX, it's just a no-brainer. I would always go to Hamden. But I wonder this morning if you're a CFAX Christian. You have all the information about God. You know exactly what it means to follow Christ. You know all the different truths about God in your life. But have you actually experienced him? Have you actually experienced the reality of the gospel? You know, when we sing these words, or when we have sung the words, I don't know if we're singing them again. Hallelujah, he's alive. Hallelujah, he is risen. Praise the one who saved my life. He's alive. I have seen the Lord. Do you recognize these words as statements of fact, which they are? Important pieces of information. Alongside that, do you see that this is something to be experienced? This gospel truth is a reality that we can live by. We need to know and experience the truth of the gospel. The question I would leave you with this morning is this. When was the last time the truth of the gospel brought you to tears? When was the last time the truth of the gospel brought you to tears? Has the gospel ever brought you to tears? Has it ever brought you to tears? And I probably know your comeback if you're from the west of Scotland. I'm not an emotional guy, Mark. Well, if the gospel is power, does it have more power than your stiff upper lip? Are you willing to let God do a work in your life so that the truth of the gospel is both known and felt. The reality of Jesus is a reality for your mind and your heart. Uh, this morning as we close, we just want to create a space to respond uh, to these truths. And as we close, uh, there's space for us to meet with God. A simple prayer that you can pray as we sing is, God, let the gospel be all that it should be in my life. Let the gospel be all that it should be in my life. As Jesus says, if you do not ask, you will not receive. So we come to God with hunger and with expectation that he's going to meet with us. Do not miss out on what God wants to do in this time. Maybe this morning you're aware of the fact that you've never received what Jesus has done for you. You've heard this gospel truth perhaps, but you've never received it. You know that he is not Lord of your life and you want to make that step of following him today. Well, come to him in prayer. Speak to myself or someone you know and trust. And we would count it a privilege to pray with you and for you as we sing, but also even afterwards, if you would like to receive prayer, then do connect with us. Perhaps this morning you would like prayer for a situation in your life, something you've been struggling with, something that you're carrying a burden about. What would be a point in carrying this burden into church 
and walking out of this church with the same burden. Do not miss out on this opportunity this morning to receive prayer. And again, do speak to myself or someone you know. We also invite you to, to receive prayer this morning for healing. And we believe in the God who does heal. So if you are carrying an illness or an ailment, we would take a moment this morning to pray for you and trust that God has a perfect plan for your life through this difficulty. As we respond in worship, <clears throat> we also come to this table. And this table is a, a visual representation of the gospel, of all that God has done for us. <coughs> Jesus died. Jesus rose from the dead. Because of Jesus, our sins are forgiven. Our lives will never be the same again because of the reality of what this table symbolizes. He that knew no sin became sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of Christ. It was on the night in which he was betrayed that Jesus took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body which is for you. And in the same way he took the cup. And he said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. As often as you drink this, do so in remembrance of me. <clears throat> so we take this bread and we drink this cup. And my prayer and hope is we both know and experience the gospel this morning. So let's pray together. <coughs> Father, we thank you that we can take time this morning to, to rest in you. We can rest in the truth of your word. And we can now respond to what your word says. And I pray that as we now have the freedom uh, to sing and to pray and to receive prayer, to have fellowship, that through all these different ways your spirit would be working and that we would walk away from this time together as a church family, completely changed and transformed through the work of your Holy Spirit. Lord, we love you. Lord, we bless your name. And we pray that you would meet with us as we both know and experience the reality of what you have done for us. We thank you that it is good news. In Jesus' name. Amen.